Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing. And on this episode, The Meeple Dungeon, Dice and Dragons, Friday Night Games, definitely a board game podcast. All you can board. Board on the Air, and Cardboard Conjecture. Also, remember to check out the show notes to links to the content creators of the What You've Been Playing cast. Enjoy, and we'll catch you at the end of this episode. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. And we are here recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, uh, and we're going to talk about one game this week, uh, one game we've been playing quite a bit of, and that game is... Cryo. Cryo from Z-Man Games, uh, designed by Tom Jolly and Luke Laurie. It's a two to four player game, and thematically, you are a crew aboard a starship that there's been some sort of... Uh, foolery going on on the ship and it causes the ship to crash and everybody is skeptical of each other and you crash on a a planet that you weren't anticipating on crashing on which is um, a very icy remote planet and as the sun is going down you're discovering that the temperatures on the surface are not going to be uh, capable of, of keeping everyone alive so you are uh, in a fight against time to to uh, collect resources and collect your people and get underground into these caverns that you discover and save as many of your fellow friends as possible. But you're kind of in two different factions once the crash ship uh, or the ship crashes. And um, yeah, so that's them- thematically what's going on there. Um, and uh, one thing I have to say right off the bat here is uh, I love the box cover and the board and everything else yeah i more so than the style i really like the color Mm -hmm. i think the color on the board was really appealing It, it draws your eye to the right place and they just use different shades, like ones you don't typically see on boards, and I yeah. really liked it. it was, yeah, yeah it was nice. I, I was describing this in the unboxing video as kind of pastel sort of colors, and I don't know if that's correct or not. I wouldn't not. say so much pastel, maybe like... Or pencil crayon or like something. Bright, they're, yeah, it's bright something, and pastel are different, but yeah, they're, I don't know, they're just off shades that you don't normally yeah, see. Yeah, it kind of gives you a retro look yeah. to it. I think um, that's probably the best like a, way to describe it. Yeah, is. it's really cool with the oranges yeah. and blues and purples and yeah. things, and yeah, no, it's really, really great. Um, yeah, so the art, I forget who the artist is, there was a group of them, two or yeah. three people that did it, but yeah, it was super, super great art. Um, but... The game itself, um, so the way it works, you have drones, and you have three of them on, on your player board. Yeah. <laughs> and you drive those drones around uh, the crash sites. There's four different crash sites, and uh, each one of them has kind of different things you could do at those crash sites. And you're using your drones uh, one at a time to go out to these crash sites and collect resources or collect your... Uh, pods with people in them because there's all these they're people. They're in cryos. Yeah, they're in the cryostasis yeah, pods, cool. which is cool. So you're trying to collect these people that don't even know what's going on <laughs> and you're trying to collect them and bring them back to your player board and uh, and try to get them underground. And and at the same time, you're, yeah, you're collecting resources and you're collecting tokens and you're using these tokens to do different things. And uh, yeah, you're doing that back and forth with uh, with the drones taking turns and then you recall your drones once you've sent all three of them out or sooner you can recall sooner but generally speaking you you put all three of your drones out there doing things for you then you recall them all 
And this is a cool part of the game. And much like one of my favorite games, and actually one of your favorite games too, I think, Dwellings of Elder Vale, designed by Luke yeah, Laurie, one of, the yeah. one of the designers here. It's a great mechanism where you go back to your player board and you're doing a whole bunch of more actions on your player board. It's so, a great... Yeah, it's, I it's love a, it. Yeah, it's, I love that mechanism. It, it really allows... Uh, it makes the rest of your gameplay important as well because you have important. to you have to in this case you really have to decide how you want to set up your player board so that every time you recall you're making the most out of your recall. Yeah. And it just it's it lets you do more things instead of just recalling. You just bring them back and then you yeah. start next time. It's Yeah, no. It's very cool. And your player board is is fully customizable so you're able to add little tokens onto your board saying that if I put my drone back here on in part one or in your in section one of your player board then you're going to receive whatever token you put in there so it might give you some uh, crystals or the organics or tech or whatever and then you place your other drone on another spot in your player board and you're going to pay something to get something else and you, you're, you're able to edit these things which is really cool as you go and, and yeah. change it up how you how you want it and uh yeah super cool love the aspect of it but uh the other cool part about it uh, I believe you wanted to talk about was the cards. Yeah, I really liked the cards in this game. You mm -hmm. had uh, each card has basically three different aspects you can choose from. On the card, there's a ship, there's a mission, uh, and there is an upgrade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and you basically will when you play the card, you can play it around your board, how, depending on which aspect of the card you choose. Yeah, you so can you, tuck it in the top. Yeah, which would be um, the upgrade. The upgrade. You can put it off to the side, which would be a mission, which is basically end game scoring. Yep. And then you ha and then you have your ships, which go on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And uh, like vehicles. Yeah. 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 Vehicles. Like little rover like vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all important. So very like so super hard to decide what you want to do yeah. with each card. And they seem pretty evenly weighted. So far, I've kind of kept. Uh, it pretty even, like not st uh, stacking up on one versus the other. Mm -hmm. But I think when we play again, I'm gonna try to go like heavy into one and see what kind of difference it makes. Mm -hmm. If like you mean like heavy into upgrades or yeah, heavy into like, vehicles, or, yeah, yeah, like maybe okay. go heavy into upgrades and not worry about yeah. missions or and maybe just one or two vehicles. Yeah, because I've been keeping it pretty uh, even. I think having like one or two of each, yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, I'm curious to see what that would. Would do as well, mind you. Every time we've played, you've won, so you're, doing so you're still you still win every game. So you're doing something right, and I'm doing something wrong. One thing we've noticed is so far, whoever ends the game, which has been me, mm -hmm. has won. Yeah, because um, there's there's a, uh, a certain amount of turns. So uh, I forget how many is it. It might be about ten or twelve turns yeah, something or something like that. like that. I think so. At the end of every round, when when you recall your drones whether you recall all three or if you only put one out and recall it back you are doing an incident is that what it's called something like yeah that. like an incident token so each each uh part of yeah. the field has an incident token on it and you're going to flip that over and you're going to kind of set off something whether it destroys part of uh uh, the the place where you can uh, get rid of the other players' yeah, pods you can get yeah destroy some pods or you can get a resource or something like that yeah and as you go through you're setting off or you're replacing those incident uh, tokens as you go. And, yeah, I think there's 10 or 12 rounds. It's and basically after the your countdown round, Yeah, it's round your countdown. Marker. So you can see it kind of coming. And, yeah, once that last one goes, it you can end the game yeah. by selecting a certain token that makes the sun set. And then everything on the surface freezes and everybody underground survives. And then there's a whole bunch of end game scoring. And there's a nice scoring pad to keep track of everything. And, yeah, it's yeah. a really, really great game. Um, I think it's a good, it's a solid, it's a good thinker game without having to waste time pouring over decisions. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like a, a easier version of Dwellings of Eldervale, I would say. So if anyone out there likes Dwellings of Eldervale, you'll love this game. It's um, a different type of it's game. It's different, but it's a little on the, the easier side. So, um, but yeah, that mechanism from Luke Laurie there that he's bringing to the table here, I love it. And we love Cryo. So we are out of time, though. Uh, again, this has been Rob and Anna-Marie from The Meeple Dungeon. We will have a review video for this game on our YouTube channel. There's already an unboxing there if you want to go check that out. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. 
And this week on What You've Been Playing Wednesday, we're going to be talking about Earth Rising, published by Stop, Drop, and Roll, a game by Laurie Blake. And this is the prototype edition of the game. It's going to be coming to Kickstarter on April 26th. So in less than a week from uh, this episode dropping, you can also find our Kickstarter preview coming tomorrow after you listen to the episode. Now the game plays in 90 to 120 minutes. It's for one to six players and ages 10 and above. It is a cooperative game. And Julie, what are you doing in this game? Well, you're trying to transform the world and save it from climate disaster. Yes, and to do that, you must take unsustainable practices and convert them to sustainable practices for the long term. While doing that, you also need to manage the strain on the planet because it's very important to keep the population out of poverty. Because obviously, as you dismantle unsustainable practice, it it can send people into poverty if you don't have sustainable practices set out to balance it out. And of course, there's going to be Things that are going to come in our way to you know, keep us from being Succe- able to, from succeeding. Yeah. Yes. And the status quo does strike back with some nasty cards that are in the deck. There are six different characters, each with asymmetric powers. And I think we both do agree at this point, especially if you're playing at a lower play account, not all of these powers are created equal. It does feel like they are, are all balanced in a six player format because you're going to find a use for all of their powers. But I gotta say, I really like the ecologist power and the innovator's power, and they can really get you a nice uh, eco engine running if you're playing a two-player game. Yeah, but this is not an easy game. Like we've played it twice already, and uh, no, not not working for us. No, and the, that's one of the downsides I have to say about the game is in the first game the cards really went our way and we were able to get a nice engine going, but we we totally misplayed the game, to be honest. Yeah. We didn't focus on the different aspects of the board. So the board is divided into six sectors. What are those sectors, Julie? You got agriculture, infrastructure, culture, politics, energy, and industry. Now, what we made a mistake of is we focused on industry and agriculture, which is not necessarily a mistake. It's a good thing to do because that's those are our sectors for the characters we were, we were playing. But we kind of neglected culture and politics, and then the cards just didn't come up at the end of our first game. And then in our second game, we didn't get any agriculture cards, so we were spending a lot of time managing strain because we didn't get that eco engine running. Yeah, and I mean, one thing I don't think we mentioned is that uh, we... We have 20 years to get this done. Uh, so that means 10 turns each in a two-player game. Yes, and in a six-player game, you're going to take that 20 turns and it's not going to come out quite evenly. So there's going to be some players that don't get to play as much, but if you're playing a four-player game, that is five turns each. So six players, you're closer to that four-turn mark. You're really going to want to pick who's going to be the starting player to make sure that you balance it out. Now, the copy that we are playing is a prototype, so it doesn't have final art or anything like that. So if you do see our video, just note that this is all going to be changed when it hits Kickstarter. Yeah, so, I mean, I've I've enjoyed playing it. I just have been a little bit frustrated. So I'm I'm curious to see what it's going to be like at four players, because I think we're going to try it now with the two characters each. Yeah, we're going to up the the player count, see if it scales better up or down, because we really don't know uh, at this point in time. And we want to see how it it works, because you do get some more abilities. Uh, For example, Julie's going to be taking on the role of the equal investor who can manage what cards are going to be coming up. So that'll be really cool. I'm going to be taking on the role of the activist, which will let people flip unsustainable practices to sustainable instead of disbanding them. So maybe having some more powerful characters, well, not powerful, but uh, more characters with interesting, unique abilities on our side is going to make this a little easier. As I find right now, the major obstacle that we've had in this game has been time and the luck of the cards. Yeah, you really weren't lucky last game uh, when it came to the agriculture cards coming up for you, and it just really bogged us down. Uh, I was I was getting the cards for for my character, but it you know you can't just be one player because uh, the strain really hits you hard when you're not uh, when you're not managing it. No, and just to point, just to explain what happens, the innovator can raise people up out of poverty with some special tokens, even if they're not on the board, which really helps the strain. And the ecologist 
can double the value of your sustainable practices, meaning that if you work them very well together, you can eventually get the board into a state of negative strain. So you don't need to have to worry about any type of ecological collapse because if that does happen, then you get extra pot while they're, uh, what are they? They're climate tokens. So one degree, two degrees, and three degrees. And those go into the pile of poverty so they count for extra strain so if you do have a certain amount of ecological collapses you will lose but essentially what will happen is if you get them three of them in there then they count for two extra strain every turn and that's another thing that i want to want to mention is uh typically when you're playing games like this you have all the players go and then you do the upkeep i understand why with the way the mechanics works that the upkeep is done after every player's turn to make it just that more tense but man, I got to say, in terms of managing the game and playing the game faster, I really wish they, that mechanic was changed uh, just a bit. I'd much rather all of us play and then manage the board, then all of us play and then manage the board. Even if that affected the amount of time that we had in the game, it would just be a lot smoother for gameplay. It just feels a little clunky. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I, I definitely understand where they were going, though, because it's, you know, at the end of every year, uh, something happens, but you know, typically climate change is a little bit more long term. So I, I can see that how we could have gotten it, uh, you know, as you suggest, over more years. Well, well, or less time. Essentially, you just shorten the period. I mean, it's maybe not as realistic, but it would just basically be all four characters acting in the course of a year, or six characters, and then going. You set your cards accordingly, or you go after every four or five years you do a phase, something like that. But in any case, you're gonna hear a lot more about Earth Rising when we get this uh, to the video format. Well, for you guys, it'll be tomorrow. So you can check us out, check it out, or check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, at Dyson Dragons, or on Twitter, at Dyson Dragon. And don't forget, keep playing games. Keep playing games. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. You can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, TikTok at Friday Night Games, and on our website, Friday Night.games. Today we're going to talk to you about the game Face to Face, designed by Reinhard Stope and Stefan Bendorf, and published by Pandasaurus Games. This game comes out are in mid-May and uh, comes under 20 bucks. Yeah. So the game face-to-face is similar to the base game, The Game, where you lay cards down in ascending or descending piles. You originally work competitive, or sorry, you originally work cooperatively to play all the cards to win. Um, the cards on the piles are descending and ascending. If you cannot, you then lose the game. In this game... The game face to face, you are now competitively trying to play all the cards from your deck to either your pile and or one card to your opponent's pile. You can win by either playing all of your deck uh, to your piles or everyone's pile or by your opponent not being able to play a card to any pile. And that is pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, and I hope you enjoyed us saying the game six million times. So. <laughs> John, what do we like about this one? Uh, I liked that it how how much it differed from. I guess it's not a drastic difference from the game, but I like that you're playing your own game, um, discarding your own pile because um, you really just have to think for yourself a little bit. Um, and I like. I like that in order to win, you're going to have to play cards onto your opponent's pile. Because um, the cool rule with that is if I'm laying a card on your pile, for instance, Matt, um, if I, I have to improve your deck. So if I lay it on your pile that is ascending and you, you have, like, say, you know, a 20, I have to lay something less than a 20 down so that you have more opportunity to lay cards down. Right. Just so everyone knows... Uh you start off with two separate decks numbered, I think from like one to 60. And then you have two, each player has two piles, which one goes descending from 60 and one goes ascending from one. 
and right. then you're playing on these piles in order of uh, ascending or descending. And then if you cannot, you can actually play any card on your opponent's pile. So if you have a card you can't play, you can just toss it on your opponent's pile as long as it's um, beneficial for them. Right. So if it's ascending, you would play something uh, less than what they have. And if it's descending, you'd play something greater so they have an advantage to play more cards. So what I really like is the simplicity of the game. Haha, <laughs> pun, no pun. I didn't intend that. <laughs> uh, I could easily break this game out in like five minutes, explain all the rules, have a really good time. And I think everyone else generally has a really good time too. Um, I also like how the designers took a really fun co-op game. Uh, I say fun because we were like getting angry at each other, but it was really fun knee to watch and made it <laughs> competitive, uh, especially when you have that grudge against your other player who just would not be able to read your mind. You you then, you know, you start to like, well, you know what? I wish I had a game where I could just compete with you in this exact same game. And that's exactly what this is. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did like they didn't strangle me this time. <laughs> only on a, a future video uh <laughs> john what didn't you like uh i didn't you know i like the game uh though my one thing was um the artwork so the artwork of the new game face to face is similar to the original artwork of the game but when pandasaurus uh released the original they had um different artists come in and design the cards by uh each set of 10 and they have different like very family friendly looking artwork for that and in the game face to face it's like a skull and like very like it's orange and gray colors um so i'm just wondering why they 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 cho chose to keep the original artwork instead of the the family uh, oriented artwork. I mean, it doesn't hinder my gameplay at all. So that's just, I'm just curious. Uh, not, it's not really something I did like more of a curiosity. Right. Uh, for me, nothing. It's <laughs> <laughs> simple. Like yeah. we literally could have played a game talking about it, you know? Yeah. We literally could have played a game right now. So, um, and we're not going to do what we played wrong this week. Instead, we're going to give you uh, what two uh, key gameplay elements you need to know to succeed. So um, I'll do the first one. You could play a card uh, that is 10 numbers lower or higher on a descending or ascending pile um, to increase or decrease that pile. So let's say you had a descending pile from uh, you're going from 60 and on your pile you have uh, 21. Well, you can play a 31 so that now you can play cards to the descending pile that are less than 31. So it really helps you uh, play more cards from your hand. Right. And like I said, with what I like about the game, utilizing your opponent's deck to remove cards, you just cannot use at that moment. So if you have a hand where you just can't lay anything onto your piles, using those cards, if you can, to play on your opponent's piles just to get them out, I think is uh, kind of a key strategy to to win. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for listening and uh, thank you for having us on uh, What You Played Wednesday. So uh, just remember, we're Matt and John from Friday Night Games and you can check us out on all the things we mentioned before. Just rewind and listen again. <laughs> check us out <laughs> Friday night dot games. <laughs> thank you. See ya. Bye. Hey folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast, Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us, at BC Board Gamers, and we even have some videos up on our YouTube channel. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers. Now, when it comes to researching and buying new games to add to my ever-growing collection of gaming awesomeness, there are a few things that I always have to pay attention to. One of those is designer pedigree. If a design if a game has a designer credits of like, you know, Stefan Feld, Simone Luciani, and even Jamie Stegmeier, I know that I have to have it. One recent addition to this list of designer pedigree that I pay attention to is Vladimir Suhi, the designer of Shipyard, Pulsar 2849, 
in Underwater Cities, just to name a few of his titles. I am a big fan of Pulsar 2849 and Underwater Cities, so when I heard that he was releasing a new game in 2020 called Praga Kapu Regni, I was instantly intrigued. In Praga Kapu Regni, Charles IV has been crowned King of Bohemia and ruler of the Holy Roman Empire. From Prague, he is overseeing the construction of new fortifications, the Charles Bridge across the Vlatov River, a university, the St. Vitus Cathedral, new buildings in the city of Prague, and even more walls to enclose the city. At its heart, Praga Kaput Rigni is a resource management game with many strategies to pursue. Like a good Euro design, you can't pursue everything and you will eventually need to specialize in one or two aspects of the game to maximize your victory point scoring opportunities. On your turn, you'll select a tile from this thing called the Action Crane, which is a clever use of the rondelle-like mechanism, and select one of the two actions to perform on that tile. There are six actions in total that you can take in the course of the game. Increasing gold production or producing gold. Increasing stone production or produce stone. Advance along the King's Road and later build segments on the Charles Bridge. Construct city walls. Construct buildings in the city of Prague or claim an upgrade tile that will improve the efficiency of one of the six actions. Now, most of these actions are linked to other aspects of the game. Constructing wall segments will sometimes increase your position along the hunger wall track. Constructing building segments will sometimes increase your position on the St. Vitus Cathedral track. Both of these tracks will grant some bonuses by reaching certain spots and end-of-game victory points. Advancing along the King's Road is beneficial if you've collected the egg resource, spending them to score points and gain other really useful bonuses. Even at the end of the King's Road is the Charles Bridge, which from our experiences is a very handy to reach. There's lots of big points that you can achieve at the end of that track. Efficiency is the name of the game because you are only going to be able to perform at minimum 16 actions throughout the whole game. So choose a strategy quickly and execute it flawlessly. I've only touched on the essential pieces to this elaborate puzzle, but here are some of my thoughts on playing Praga Kaput Regni. The production and component quality of this game is excellent and poor at the same time. It has an amazing table presence with 3D wall and cathedral tracks, a 3D bridge piece, rotating action wheel, dual layer, dual layer player boards, and very large game board. The art is fantastic, vibrant, and very classic looking. Too bad that there is so much going on and it is very busy looking. I would be lying if I said I wasn't intimidated by the game when I first set this up. Add to that the countless number of tiles and components that you need to set up the game. The quote-unquote fiddliness factor is very high for me. By this, I mean there are a lot of things that you need to keep track of. Bonuses are gained quite often and comboed together with other bonuses, upgrade tiles and even tech tiles. It is very easy to forget that extra stone gold bonus or those extra couple of points. In a game where being short that one stone you forgot to gain as a bonus could be detrimental in even setting you back an action or two. Not to mention that there are level 1 and level 2 upgrade wall and city tiles in the game. You start with the level 1s, and halfway through the game, you have to disrupt the flow by having to swap out all of the level 1s for level 2 tiles. It's kind of a little annoying. There are so many cardboard components that this game definitely could have used a functional insert to organize everything. I even had a friend 3D print me one of those Thingverse um, inserts and now make setup and teardown of this game even much better. This is a game that rewards multiple plays. You need those first few games to really understand what actions are connected to what scoring opportunities. After you quote-unquote get the game, you can vary things up with future plays by adding different wall and cathedral tracks, different King's Road bonuses, and even flip over the action tiles. The variability in setup can be quite high once you are ready for it. The puzzle factor is quite high for me, and I really enjoy figuring out how certain actions and bonuses are going to chain together to maximize my results. One game I solely focused on upping my stone production and building walls and advancing up the hunger wall track, 
and the next game I focused on gold production and advancing on the King's Road and building city tiles. Both of those games played very differently for me and my scores are still very competitive with one another. This is an excellent Euro design once again by Suhi and ranks up there with underwater cities for me. If you love efficiency puzzles where you're just that one action short of accomplishing your goal, this is that game for you. Gotta be one of my top games of 2020 for me. And that's what we've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, pretty much all of the podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at BC Board Gamers, to see what we've been up to lately. Okay, folks, I've been Ryan, and I will check in with you next time. Hello, I am Aaron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. We've been playing all kinds of stuff. Royce, what you been playing Wednesday? Oh, I don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> okay, I know what I'll talk about this week. I'm going to talk about Oracle of Delphi. Okay. So this is an older game from 2016. Uh, it's a Stefan Feld game from Hall Games. So a couple things that are interesting about this one. First, I played it on Yukata. I'd never actually played on Yukata before. I played on board game Marina a lot. So I started to explore Yukata, and I loved their library of games. And this is a game I have in my collection that I hadn't played in quite some time. It's in a, it's a Steffenfeld that does not feel anything like a Steffenfeld. Hmm. Normally with Steffenfeld games, they're point salad. You're going out. Whatever you do gets points. This is actually a race game. Oh. You're racing around to c- complete 12 uh, objectives, uh, four sets of three different objectives first. And so you're playing as a uh, in ancient Greece. You are attempting to appease Zeus, the god Zeus. So you're doing all these things. You're creating temples and statues and carrying goods and defeating these mythical monsters. And you're running around doing all this. And at the same time, you are improving your standing with various gods to get special powers. And you're doing the whole thing by rolling dice. So you roll the dice. The dice have different faces on them. Whatever face comes up, that's the god that you can sort of enact this turn to do various things. Cool. And all the actions are based on the dice rolls. I love this game. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't feel like a Steffenfeld at all. So if you're not a huge fan of Steffenfeld, you may want to try this one. Hmm. And I felt the Yukata interface really worked well for it. So I was pretty impressed. Oracle of Delphi, Steffenfeld, Hall Games, 2016. What you been playing? Well, I've been playing an older game, too, from 2017. Uh, and it's Azul. I finally opened this one and gave it a try. And I wish I had done it a lot sooner. Uh, Michael G- Kiesling, Plan B, Next Move Games. Um, this shot to the top for me. Uh, love this game. It's an abstract strategy game, which I usually love. Um, this is no exception. The setup super easy. You have a bag of tiles. You have a couple of discs you throw on the table. And on those discs, you put four tiles on each. And you can choose tiles from those four discs. If you choose one color, you gotta choose all the tiles of that same color. And then you push the rest of them into the center. And then on the next turn, the next person can actually choose from the center or from another disc. And eventually all those t- extra tiles get pushed into the center. And you're going to place those tiles on your board. On the left side, you have one space at the top and then two, three, four, five. As you fill those rows, those tiles move over to the right side. And that's where all the magic happens. You want to create vertical rows. You want to create horizontal rows. The first one to create a horizontal rows actually triggers the end of the game. And you get all kinds of points for that. The trick is... You can't put tiles in the same row where you already have the same tile and you can't duplicate colors on the left side. So what ends up happening is tiles get taken. You realize as you're getting close to the end of the turn, there's a bunch of stuff there you don't want. You may end up with five or six tiles of a color that you can't use. If that's the case, you put them on the floor of your board. And unfortunately, those are negative points. 
So you might move up the scoreboard as you've you know made a you've made a couple of points here and there, and you go up and up and up, and then you'd look at your floor and go back down again all the way, and you may end up even going less than what you had originally to start with. So very easy to play, very easy to set up, uh, very simple to teach people. But man, there is an endless amount of strategy I still need to learn in this game uh, to master it. Uh, absolutely love this one and now also looking forward to checking out the other two Azul's that follow this one to see if there is good. Excellent. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you've, you've talked about Sagrada in the past. Azul or Sagrada? Azul, for sure. Yeah, I like Sagrada. Excellent. I love Azul. Yeah, I would consider probably my top three right now, if not the top one, to be honest with you. Wow. Yeah. That's some high praise. Yeah. yeah, really loved it. I wish I got it sooner. So, yeah. That was Azul. And Oracle of Delphi. Excellent. Yeah. So if you ever want to hear more from the two of us morons here, check out Definitely a Board Game Podcast. You can always find us on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and who knows what else is out there. We're on everything as far as I know. Everywhere. <laughs> we're just, we're there. And if you want to talk to us, email us at definitelyboard at gmail.com. We're on Facebook too. We have a guild. There's a, a, whatever. We're there. Just find us. Yeah, we're just a little bit oversaturated, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming for right, dinner. We're coming so for much. dinner. See you guys next week. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks. Hey everyone, Dylan and Carl here from All You Can Board for another What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Thanks to Cardboard Conjecture for having us on. I've got a couple of really good games that we've been playing uh, that we're excited to talk about, so we're going to jump right in. I'm going to throw it to Carlo, who has been playing, while well, I played with him, uh, Mercado de Lisboa. Yeah, so this is the newest game uh, published by Eagle Griffin Games. We got a copy from the publisher. Uh, it's co-designed by Vital Lacerda and Julian Pombo. This is uh, Julian Pombo's first published design, but he actually did do the solo mode for Lisboa, and he's playtested and developed a bunch of uh, Vital Lacerda's other games, so uh, these guys do know each other well. Uh, this one is built very differently from any other Vital Lacerda game you've probably uh, played. Uh, this one is a thinky filler, five minutes to teach, 30 to 45 minutes to play. And basically the whole game is based off of the uh, system with the stores and public buildings, if you're familiar with that, from uh, Lisboa itself. Um, short overview of the game is that you have this sort of market grid with, I believe it's a 5x5 five five grid, 25 spaces, uh, where you're going to be putting down these sort of restaurants and stands, and then around them, uh, around the edges of all the columns and rows, you can place these customer tiles, and basically you have this sort of market that develops in the middle of the board where you're trying to get restaurants next to your markets uh, or your stands, pardon me, and you're trying to bring customers in and line up the symbols. So again, if you've played Lisboa and you know that kind of uh, that grid that's in the top right corner of the board with all the intersecting pieces, um, he has pretty, or I should say they, uh, Vital and Juliana, pretty accurately, I think, translated this into a different theme. Um, and I think we, I mean, we actually just played Lisboa for the first time a couple weeks ago uh, and found it fairly overwhelming. By the end, we, you know, we felt like we knew what we were doing. But I think if you are someone out there who hasn't yet played Lisboa, I would say this is like the perfect starting point. Like this would make Lisboa go a lot smoother if you got in a game or two of this, got this system down. Because I don't know about you, Dylan, but when we played Lisboa, I think that was the part that caused the most analysis paralysis for me is like, the order of, oh, if you put this store here, but then, oh, but you don't know where the public building is going to get there. And, like, that took so much time to work out. And I feel like almost practicing on this and then going into Lisboa would make Lisboa a better experience. Yeah, and how many how many more games do you think Lisboa is going to spawn? We have now one, se <laughs> right. one section of the board has turned into one board game. There's probably at least four other sections of the Lisboa board that will make four other board games. Yeah, yeah. Next next will be the... Uh, oh, man, I'm ashamed. I can't think of the Portuguese word for... Every corner for, of the for board. For boat now. I was going to say the boat of Lisboa and it's just the yeah. sailing part or whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, we... I got to be honest, we... Had some issues with the rule book getting into it at first, just in terms of the layout. Um, if you're picking this up for yourself or reading the rules online, uh, just give it a couple reads over and maybe look out for a video. I think we're actually going to try to put together a how-to-play video for this right away because I think it would help. It's a surprisingly tricky game. Um, but yeah, it's one that I think the first few turns we felt lost. We're like, what, what are we even trying to do? Like, what's the order of doing things? It feels really, really tough. But um, yeah, one of the things we really liked about it was that unlike any Vital game, as far as I know, your points at the end are just how much money you have left. 
everyone starts the game with one coin and throughout the game you're spending money to make money so everything is kind of an investment where you don't know if you're going to get back the full return on your investment so lots of interesting decisions because you're spending money which is your points at the end so yeah uh, we'll probably have a lot more to say about this another time and some more content on our channel but again that was Mercado de Lisboa uh, designed by Julian Pombo and Vital Lacerda and published by Eagle Griffin Games so now I'm going to throw it over to Dylan for Lost Ruins of Arnak yeah, so we finally played Lost Ruins of Arnak. I've been wanting to play that for a while. We played it on Board Game Arena, but we have a physical copy coming in. We're going to be doing some content on. This is a worker placement game with some deck building uh, aspects as well. Uh, the deck building is really interesting in this one because you, in a lot of deck builders, sometimes you have the potential to really build up your deck a lot from what you start with. Like it becomes a very, very different deck and a very large deck. Um, this one, it felt like... It, it was kind of limited how much I was adding to my deck. My deck didn't, it evolved, but it didn't It didn't evolve as much as I've seen it evolve in other deck builders. Um, and so it felt like every decision mattered a little bit more in terms of what I was adding to my deck from the market or the artifacts I was buying. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on. You have a you have a research track on the side of the board that you can choose to be moving up. But to be able to move up the research track, you need to facilitate that by spending other resources, whether that's compasses or gold um, or jewels or, or um, arrowheads, which arrowheads are really, really hard hard to come by in our game um, and you're basically the most interesting thing that I found is that you have the basic uh, you know worker placement spots that you can go on to and that's not the thematic name for them I uh, hear that's just me uh, talking mechanically uh, archaeological you, dig sites there you go uh, but you can open up new dig sites by basically exploring you have to spend compasses to be able to open up new unique uh, places to, to place your workers or your archaeologists um, but those are going to be drawn from a random stack. So every game you play, you're going to be having these new spots to, to, to place your archaeologists, and every game can be different from the last. So I find that really, really interesting, and I liked that we didn't know what to expect. You're opening up a spot, you're going to get some resources, and you're going to have this brand-new worker placement spot that might change the value of the resources. Like, you know, it could have been hard to find jewels, but now in the game we played, it could be a lot easier to find jewels because we've opened up spots that, you know, facilitate that. So I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and it was a close game. It, 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 every decision mattered. By the end, we were like trying to figure out, like, you know, you can't do everything, which is usually the sign of a, of a successful game. And, and, uh, and you're just trying to figure out you know, what you can do to facilitate the points you want to get. So I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and this is designed, I should have said, this is the first time design by Elwin and Min. Um, it's from uh, CGE, and it's been uh, it's been on my list to play for, for so long, and I'm just so happy to we finally got to play it. I cannot wait to get the physical copy in. Um, and like I said, we're going to be having some how-to-play content uh, put out there, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing. I think when you mentioned about the deck building, I think at the start of the game, is it six or eight cards that you start with in your deck? Six, and you draw five, so there's only like one card in your deck. The, right, yeah. and I think both of us at the end of the game, like I know we trashed a couple cards, but we each had like an eight-card deck or something yeah. by the end. So like, yeah, there's a bit of deck building, but your deck is almost the same size at the end as the start. There's so also like, deck destroying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it ends up being a pretty like slimmed-down deck by the end anyways, so very yeah. interesting. So that's what we've been playing. Uh, yeah, two really, really cool games, very different, but uh, two games we've wanted to play for a while. Um, so yeah, we would highly recommend both and keep an eye on our channel, allyoucanboard.com. Uh, all you, you can find us on YouTube and you can see a lot of content on that. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you, uh, see you next time. Hello, this is Ian from Cardboard Conjecture. What I've been playing this week is an oldie but a goodie, EuroRails. This is the game where you're making tracks on the board with crayon, and so you're building your train network and then fulfilling contracts by picking up goods in one city and taking them to another. And depending on how far away the cities are, that determines how much money you make. This is one of my favorite games. But I do recognize that it has a few flaws that might turn people off today. So I just want to mention them just so everyone is aware. The first is that there is a lot of downtime between your turns because sometimes people's turns are really quick. They're just moving the train. Others, they got to think about what their plan is, what they're going to build. And that's when it can drag a little bit. The other thing is that at the beginning of the game, when you're building your network, there's a lot of interesting decisions to make. Which goods are you going to go for? Where do you want to build your track? It's a pretty open at that point, other than the contract specifying what goods you take where. But as far as track, you can go anywhere you want, really. 
It's just a matter of you finding the best way to do it. But as the game progresses and as you start getting towards the end game, it does feel a little automatic because your network is basically set up and now you're just basically in a race to get as much money as you can and just going back and forth and getting as many contracts fulfilled and building up your wealth. Now, I should mention that we usually play this with two players. Way back in the day, I used to play with this some more, but now it's mostly just me and my wife to, that play it. And we kind of think of it as a fun, you know, lazy afternoon kind of a game. And it really works well for that. I can see that it would be much more competitive with more players because there's a lot of fighting for roots at that point, And the, the board starts to get a lot of crowded, especially around the big cities when everybody's trying to get in which means that you'll probably have to borrow people's tracks a lot more. And also, there's only a limited number of goods. And so if you're going to all the way to Spain to pick up oranges, and somebody's taken all the oranges and there's none there, well, then you just kind of wasted a trip. And so it's much less cutthroat at two players. But as you start going up in player count, it will add a lot of playtime, that's for sure. But it's also going to add a lot more competitiveness if that's what you're looking for. I love this game. I think it's despite, you know, the the more old fashioned nature of of the way it works. It's still just a fun game. And I like the fact that it's so open with where I can build. If I want to go into Scandinavia and deal with all the fairies, I can do that. If I want to make trips down to Italy and get the rare goods that most people don't even bother. Hey, maybe that'll pay off for me, too. Eurorails is an older game, 1990, but it's still one of my favorites. So that's what I've been playing. Have a great week. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And you're listening to Board on the Air on What Have You Been Playing? That's what you're going with. That's how I'm leading tonight. We missed last week, so we have to have some energy this That's week. That's what you're going with this week. Okay. All right. This week, we played one of the master game designers' newest games, mm-hmm. uh, Steffenfeld's Bonfire. Mm-hmm. In Bonfire, you are... Uh, what are you? Cult followers? Not, I don't think it's cult. <laughs> I'm Who'd pretty you sure it? you're not cult. I think you're worshipping the ancient gods trying to light bonfires as a tribute to their greatness. Gotcha. You're worshippers. Right. Or the ancient guardians, not gods. Yeah. Guardians. And it was going to be goddesses. If it was good, if yeah, it was goddesses because God. yeah. they're all women. Yeah. Which is a nice spin and it wasn't a colonial theme as you mentioned. Yes, I enjoyed that it was a theme that was not... Uh, you're moving through this territory and making trade routes. And, you know, in the back of your head, you just go, oh, there was a lot of people killed. <laughs> um, so that was nice. Yep. Uh, and for being a Feld game, it was beautiful. Yes. I, I, I have to admit that I was a little taken back because there was no browns, nope. no tans, no yellows. Nope. Well, there was yellow pieces, but... Yeah, 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 but... As main themes, it was gorgeous. The map was beautiful. The the graphic design, the... Everything about this everything game is pretty. Everything had the pieces fit in. It was great. Yeah. There was the only color issue, and I think Feld does this all the time, is he had gray pieces and tan pieces, which is fine until you look at the symbols that show them on the paper, and the colors are very similar. Yeah, there was that issue with the gray and the tan, which for Jordan it caused an issue because uh, well, some of the bonfires was... they showed a light red and a, and the light yellow looked very similar for yeah. him because he is colorblind uh, or color deficient. Uh, so there were some some graphical issues, I guess, or yeah. some color pattern issues. Not as bad as Merlin with the cubes that all looked very similar to him, where Jordan really really struggled on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general. This, I, I just, I can't say enough about how pretty this game looked. Yeah. Uh, specifically because it is a felt. Yeah, uh, it just shocked everyone, right? Yeah. I, I don't need that in my felds, but it was certainly welcome in this, in this instance. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so in this game, you're going to do one of three things on your turn. You're going to either take one of the fate tiles to get more action tiles. You take your fate tile and put it in the fate area and get action tiles based on what's on that tile and any of similar ones it's touching. Yeah, and the fate the fate area and fate tiles are individual. That right? They're they're each person has their yeah, own. Yeah, everybody map. has their own uh, set of them. I don't know. I didn't compare, so I don't know yeah. if they're all the same. I know the four game boards that you're playing off of are different. Yes. Are the uh, the paths and stuff. Past that, you can use an action tile to mm -hmm. take one of six actions. Uh, there is move your boat. There's get a uh, guardian task. Get it. Take a guardian. Uh, take a path. Take a uh portal mm -hmm. and a wild one yeah and then right? there's also the the action where you can flip yeah and then the third third option you can do is flip a bonfire by completing a task or complete a task to flip a, flip it to make it a bonfire and then you're going to take your worker that or your novice as beside that and put it on one of the bonus spaces to get a bonus action yeah uh, there's also five common tasks that anybody can do and gets a bonus action from that the first person to do it uh end game end game scoring is big in this yes uh there is very minimal during the game scoring uh there are six elders or elder gnomes that you can take the card and score instantly mm -hmm. outside of that there's a, a couple of little one pointer things that you can add but for a felled and really, you know, point salady at the end. Yeah. Uh, there isn't much in-game scoring. No, I think I came out with like five points before yeah. the end-game scoring. And me and your mom were high at eight or nine, I think. Yeah. Uh, we both, or we all ended up fairly similar. Yeah, you uh, three were pretty close. I was quite a ways back. Yeah. Mom, mom won at 61. Uh, I had 60. Jordan had 60. And you had 45. Yeah. Uh, I really, really, really like this game. Uh, I found all the mechanics worked really well. They were easy to understand, but probably the heaviest felt I've played. Yeah, I think, like, I actually, for a game that I didn't do very well at, uh, I did actually really enjoy it. So definitely want to give it a couple more tries to really, um, nail down the strategy. Because, of course, for the first couple turns, I didn't know what I was doing. So I think I'd do things slightly different. Uh, when we play again? Yeah, I, I liked in the... I, I thought the rule book was very well set up. I learned the game no problem. I did watch a video afterwards, but I had known everything really other than one one piece I'd missed when I rewatched the video. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, uh, I liked in the rule book where it said, you know, there is no best first turn. You can do... A little bit of anything, but it gave four or five suggestions on where to start. Yeah. And I thought that helped a lot. Uh, I thought the first three or four turns, we all basically did what <laughs> one of us yeah. did and just followed suit to see how, see what worked. You know, you threw something against the wall and saw if it stuck. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's the cards that you get, but at some point it's not super useful to get them anymore. Uh, like the one, the basic yep. gnomes, right? Yeah. Uh, I think I would definitely do more exploring with my boat in the next next version because, you know, getting those tasks, I think, would really help. Plus, just trying to figure out how to get, uh, how to use the spinning thing, right? The large bonfire to try and yep. get more of the pathways. The portals. The portals, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think for sure, things like that. Yeah, like I ended up, I did four tasks, four pathways, four portals, completed them all, uh, got my four guardians all into the middle is how I got my points. Yeah. Mom did it very differently. She had a full pathway. She had four full portals, but less tasks. And Jordan was in between me and yeah. her. And you had a, a mixed bag of stuff. I would yeah, say. I had like, I had a full pathway around, but I had such bad luck getting the symbols for the portals. Yes. Uh, that just was never on what I needed. Um, and then the tasks, I really got them at the end, yeah. which kind of made it hard to get certain things. Well, so. I think four of my last 
five turns we're all flipping tasks. Yeah. Uh, it it's it's one of those games that there's a lot of build in it, and then you slowly everybody just starts getting your novices onto the high council, which is your extra boards. Yeah. And the game is that's the timing mechanism in the game where. In a four-player game, if you get 13 in there, then you play five more rounds, which I thought was really neat, really ingenious. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's sort of like Rajas of the Ganges, where you're building, you're building, building, and then it's like, oh, crap, we got to go. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that is Bonfire by Steffenfeld. Highly recommend it. Uh, 10 out of 10, would play again. Yeah, uh, I would put it as a... A heavyweight game, uh, similar to Brass, but without as many rules, or the rules were a little easier to stand, yeah. but just as just as crunchy. Absolutely. Okay, I'm David, and uh, we are Bored on the Air. And we will talk to you next week. Have a great night. Hey there, it's Norm from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers Community here in Saskatoon. And like usual, I will give us a little bit of uh, information from the Facebook community page where we have the thread, What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And uh, let's start. Hans has been playing King Domino. And I think he just won the King Domino tournament that we had going on at uh, Bridge City Board Gamers. Uh, Terraforming Mars, Cubitos, Halorato. I think I pronounced it properly. That's the Uwe Rosenberg newest one everybody's raving about. Merv. I have Merv. Merv is, Merv's a lot of Euro fun. Cool. That's a great lineup. Jason, Castles of Burgundy. Yeah. I mean, that's... That just right there alone could play that all week. Love that game, Stefan Feld. Moving on, Tim, more Warhammer Underworlds. Yeah, that just sounds like an, you know, big depth game right there. That's a big title. Uh, and one game of Century Golem Edition, Eastern Mountains. That's like the Century Spice Road, cool monsters version. Cool. Uh, Jeff, what did Jeff play? Dominion, go for nuts, or go nuts for, <laughs> a little bit of dyslexia there. Uh, King Domino, Rajas of the Ganges, uh, Splendor, and Whistle Mountain. I have heard great things about Whistle Mountain. A lot of people are really digging that game. And the the rest of them, yeah, like Dominion, that's the, that's the, uh, original, not the originator, but that's the, uh, the big breakout deck builder game. Cool. Lane. A bunch of Marvel United just painted waiting on base uh, game to arrive. Well, that is some dedication. Cool. Yeah. Zombie Kids Evolution. Open up all the envelopes. Yeah. Daniel and I are playing that and we're halfway there. Cool. That's such a fantastic game for kids. And and it's got a, it's got just the perfect depth for the adult gamer to uh to be engaged as well so kudos to scorpio masque uh tony king domino and baron park baron park i have yet to play that that is such a very cool polyomino um game yeah 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 and i love the designer it's got such a such a great stable of games moving on travis lords of Waterdeep. That's such a good worker placement game. Maracaibo and Reavers of Midgard. I am curious about Reavers of Midgard. Very curious. I've heard a lot of people say, and again, it's a worker placement. So if you don't like worker placement, then you might want to stay away from it. I know one person will be staying away from that. Eli. No, not Eli. Eli's the next one. Quacks of Quidlinburg. Downforce and Cthulhu. Death may die. Yay. Quacks, push your luck. That's such a fun one. Downforce. Yeah, Downforce can, Downforce can be a fun game and can be a very chippy game if, uh, if, you, don't, if you don't like uh, people wasting, wasting potential of your own cars. So, yeah, no, it's a great game. Fantastic game. Oh, and speaking of Downforce, 
Uh, I think that's the, going to be the third tournament that uh, Bridge City Board Gamers will be hosting. We've hosted, we're going to host three tournaments already. That's awesome. Um, this one is a little different from what Ryan says. This one, instead of uh, asynchronous, meaning that uh, you can take your turns whenever, this one will be synchronous. It'll be live play. So there'll be a, there'll be a little bit of uh, different instructions in the PDF. So um, we, uh, we encourage you. Yeah, we had so much fun. And uh, we'll try and see if we can do a video link through Discord so that we can uh, have some polite Discord. <laughs> Maybe some trash talking, too. All right, so that takes us to the, uh, the wrapping up this one-hour segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And as always, big, big thank yous go out to the cast, the collaborators, the contributors, the wonderful human beings. Um, I, sometimes you guys cost me a lot of money, but I love it. I love it. All right. So that being said, thank you so much for listening. Take care out there and keep your stick on the ice, eh? This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the people from Cardboard Conjecture, where we just have opinions and conclusions pretty much formed on uh, complete information. Thank you.